Today on The Matt Wall Show, the community is in mourning after a trans terrorist walked into a Christian school and murdered six people here in Nashville, including uh, three children. The media is playing all of their expected uh, games, even finding a way to blame conservatives for this tragedy. But we'll try to get to the heart of the matter today. I have a lot to say about this, and we'll talk about it all today on The Matt Wall Show. You've heard about the horrific shooting at the Covenant School here in Nashville yesterday, a tragedy that has hit our community um, incredibly hard. Six victims, three staff members at the school were killed, and three children who were all nine years old. And uh, this one, I can say, lands close to home for me, literally close to home in the sense that Covenant is just a few miles from this studio and not far from where I live, and because uh, I know people whose children attend that school. And, um, well, I know people whose children attend that school. And I can't fathom what the families of those murdered children are going through, what it must be like to have woken up this morning if you slept at all, knowing that you will face this day and all remaining days without your precious child. It is unfathomable. But there are yet more families today who are forced to experience a form of suffering that the rest of us can't even imagine. There's a lot that needs to be said about this, but let's start with the basic facts as we understand them today. So on Monday morning, Audrey Hale, 28-year-old female who identified as transgender, shot through a locked side entrance of the school building, made her way to the second floor, and opened fire. Um, There were no school resource officers. The campus had no armed security of any kind, apparently. Police responded to the scene within about 15 minutes, had killed the suspect, and uh, sent her to hell, where she will stay forever, as she deserves. But not before six people were slaughtered, including the three children. One of those children, nine-year-old Haley Scruggs, was the daughter of Chad Scruggs, who's the pastor of the Covenant Church. Now, there was unspeakable evil that entered the school on Monday, but it was met with bravery and heroism, which we should acknowledge. Nashville police, thankfully, did not follow in the footsteps of the cops in Uvalde. Um, instead, they, they ran to the sound of the gunfire. And the, the, in fact, uh, just this morning, the uh, body cam footage was released, and we can see this happening. They go into that school, they go right to where they hear the gunfire, head first into the danger, and uh, they kill the monster. Meanwhile, from what I've heard, there were many other scenes of teachers and staff members rushing to protect their students, incredible courage rising up against the evil, yet the evil made its mark in the most devastating of ways. As for the motive, uh, the police, to this point, as I'm speaking right now, haven't said very much, but they have confirmed that the shooter identified as trans, and they indicated rather strongly, I think, that her trans identification had something to do with motivating the crime. Here's the uh, Nashville police chief. Listen. Our investigations tell us that she was a former student uh, at the school. I don't know what grade she's attended or grades, but we do uh, firmly believe she was a student there. Did she identify as transgender? She does uh, identify as transgender, yes. And no motive at this point? Uh, Anything discovered in the apartment or house? No, we have a manifesto. We have some writings that we're going over uh, that uh, pertain to this day, the actual incident. We have a map drawn out of how this was all going to take place. Uh, there's right now a theory of that's, that we may be able to talk about later, but it's not confirmed. And so we'll we'll put that out as soon as we can. And Chief, is there any reason to believe that how she identifies a 
I'm sorry, I'm not someone Michael. I didn't hear you say that again, sir. Is there any reason to believe that how she identifies is has any motive for targeting the school? I, we can give you that at a later time. There is uh, some theory to that. We're investigating all the leads, and once we know exactly, we'll let you know. So was this a targeted attack? It was. So the shooter identified as trans. She had a manifesto. It was a targeted attack against a Christian school. And there is, he suggests, reason to believe that her self-identification played a role in the attack itself. Now, these details have created confusion in the corporate media, with some outlets simply deciding for the first time in years, and entirely for political reasons here, to ignore trans identification and stick with the biologically appropriate pronouns in this case, and this case only. While other outlets have issued corrections to ensure that their pronoun usage is compliant, USA Today tweeted uh, yesterday afternoon, quote, Police on Monday afternoon said that the shooter was a transgender man. Officials had initially misidentified the gender of the shooter. The New York Times had a similar clarification. There was confusion later on Monday about the gender identity of the assailant in the Nashville shooting. Officials had used she and her to refer to the suspect who, according to a social media post and a LinkedIn profile, appeared to identify as a man in recent months. So in both cases, both cases basically chastising the police for misgendering uh, this despicable, ghoulish monster. But this is a subject that the left would rather not discuss at all. They'd prefer to skip over the questions of the shooter's uh, identity and motivation and keep the whole discussion focused on guns. That's where the White House took the issue right away, as we expect, uh, and without any hesitation at all. Listen. We must do more. And he wants Congress to act because enough is enough. In his State of the Union, the president called on Congress to do something to stop the epidemic of gun violence, tearing families apart, tearing communities apart. How many more children have, have to be murdered before Republicans in Congress will step up and act to pass the assault weapons ban, to close loopholes in our background, in our, in our background check system, or to require the safe storage of guns? We need to do something. Yes, it's all the Republicans' fault. When a trans person shoots up a Christian school, you know, the only people to blame are Republicans, obviously. Joe Biden had a similar message. Okay, now let's go over uh, a few details here, a few points. First of all, this is not about guns. And these damned frauds know damn well that it's not about guns. And they know that because guns have existed for hundreds of years. The firearms that they erroneously refer to as assault weapons have been around for decades. And yet, we all seem to agree that only in recent years have these sorts of mass shootings, and in particular school shootings, school shootings seem to have become commonplace. Um, if guns were the cause of the problem, then there's no particular reason why mass shootings should be more common now than they were 60 years ago or even 100 years ago. But however you measure mass shootings and to whatever degree they've increased over time, the real question, the big question, the question that actually matters right now is why? Why do people want to commit these acts? What drives it? What motivates it? If you could take away all the guns, snap your fingers and make them disappear or float into space, still you would be left with a country infested with homicidal sociopaths who don't value human life. That is not a safe place to be, no matter what weapons are available or not available. So why? 
Guns are the tools that many of these murderers use, but why do they commit the murders in the first place? The vast majority of people own, who own guns and will own them for their entire lives without ever murdering anyone. I own guns. I've never murdered anybody and never will. Why do they, these people do it? Okay, why? That, that's what matters. If we were going to skip over the why question and discuss only how to mitigate the existing risk, then that conversation should revolve first and foremost around security. The Covenant School, again, had no armed security on campus. It was a soft target. That is an easily accessible and unsecured location with large numbers of unarmed people, most of whom happen to be children. Every day, millions of parents send their children off to soft targets. And the killers choose them as targets precisely for this reason. In fact, the police chief said as much in the press conference yesterday. Listen. Was this the only school that was targeted? It was the only school that was targeted. Uh, there was another location that was mentioned, uh, but because of a, a threat assessment by the suspect, uh, too much security, they decided not to. And that area was here in Nashville, so we're continuing with that investigation as well. So did you get that? She wanted to go somewhere else, but decided not to because they had security. So, so then she went to the place without any. This is not a difficult equation. It's not hard to figure out. Every school should have armed security. There is absolutely no rational argument against it. No sane, decent person can possibly object to our children being protected. The way we, the way we protect our money in banks, okay? Nobody objects to having armed security in a bank. Or the way we protect our politicians in the buildings where they work. Our children deserve at least the same amount of security as we give to our money and our politicians. And I would say quite a bit more, in fact. You would have to be a psychopath to disagree. I mean, it is that simple. But this still does not address the underlying question, which is, again, the why. So let's talk about that. And in this case, we cannot ignore the killer's self-identification. In fact, this is only the latest in a string of mass shootings committed by someone from this identity group. The Colorado Springs mass shooter identifies as non-binary. The shooter at a Denver charter school in 2019 identified as trans. A mass shooter has shot seven people at a warehouse in Aberdeen, Maryland the year before that, identified as trans. And these are not isolated incidents. These are not random uh, bursts of violence from an otherwise peaceful group. Not remotely. In fact, this happened, this latest shooting happened during a week when trans activists have been calling for, quote, a trans day of vengeance, with at least one suggesting that the day of vengeance should happen outside of the studio where I'm currently sitting. As I have tried to warn for a long time, radical far left trans activism is a hateful, violent movement. It is more hateful and more violent than any other movement in memory. And I know that, okay? I know that. Not just because they march, you know, in their, in their, in their rallies holding banners, telling their opponents to kill themselves and making other explicit violent threats. This is at like every trans rally you, you go to, you're going to see this. Though that is what they do and that's part of the issue. It's not just that. And it's not just because they were on Twitter yesterday justifying the shooting on the basis that, in the words of one trans activist, oppressed minorities are striking back. Striking back by killing children. But it's not just that. I know it also because I've lived through it. 
Okay, my family has lived through it. We live, we live through it every day. I, I haven't experienced even a fraction of what these families at the Covenant School are suffering through. Yet I've seen enough firsthand to know that these people will do and say anything to those they consider their enemies. Anything. They will do anything to intimidate and silence you. They will dox you. They will blackmail you. They will threaten you. They will call for violence against you. They will threaten your family. They will threaten your children. They will harass you. They will commit violence against you. This is how the movement operates. And anyone who's taken a serious stand against it and attracted its ire knows that. Now, in this divided culture, you're guaranteed to get intense pushback if you take you know, any position, well, any correct position, any truthful position anyway, on any topic. But the pushback on the trans topic, it is just unlike anything else. It just is. It's not just pushback. It is a tidal wave of bloodthirsty rage from people who deeply and truly want you dead, and they want your family dead. They will tell you that if you ask them, or even if you don't. Now, what makes this situation so dangerous is that, aside from the obvious, is that this thirst for vengeance, this rage, is explicitly encouraged by our institutions. You can find many media articles, just like this one from Teen Vogue, calling for us to, quote, stop policing trans rage. In other words, let them act out as violently as they want, because they're entitled to. From the very top echelons of our society, from the most powerful people and institutions, we are told that those who oppose gender ideology, those who wish to protect children from being brainwashed into the cult, protect children from being abused and mutilated and castrated, are engaging in genocide. This is the language from, again, this is not the fringes of the movement where we hear this kind of language. It's very much in the mainstream. And when you point to someone who's a critic of gender ideology and you say, they're committing genocide, that is nothing less than an open and direct invitation to commit violent acts against that person. An an invitation to do exactly what was done yesterday. You know, the trans activists are assured that somehow those who disagree with them are a threat to their very lives just by disagreeing. That those who do not affirm their self-identity are engaging in violence simply by not affirming. That the refusal to affirm is essentially an act of murder, okay? Because you're murdering me by not affirming my self-identity because my self-identity is the only identity that matters. And if you make me question my self-identity, then, you're, then you are basically killing me. That's the logic. And it is a logic that gives a green light to carry out atrocities. It is intended to do that. That is how it is intended. Let's stop beating around the bush and pretending otherwise. This is what they want. Every time someone, someone in the media, someone in D.C., anyone else, points at Christians, at conservatives, at any of us, and says, they want genocide. What they're really saying is, deal with them, shut them down, silence them, take them out. That's how the words are interpreted. Because how else could they be interpreted? After all, if somebody was really carrying out a genocide, then violence would be the appropriate response. 
but it's not just about rhetoric. You know, at a deeper level, the gender ideology movement breeds hopelessness and depression and self-loathing and destructiveness. It begins as a suicidal destructiveness, as rage against the self, rejection of the self, and quickly metastasizes into an outward rage, into a desire to destroy not only the self, but to tear down the outside world along with it. The person who's brainwashed into this cult, who falls into this dark vortex, will be conditioned to hate her true identity, to despise her inherent nature, and then to project all of that hatred out onto society, and especially onto those who, for her sake, will not play along with the charade. Those who truly care about her will be the targets of her wrath. That is gender ideology's built-in defense mechanism. The hatred and violence are not side effects. They are the intended effects. This is the evil that we are up against. And evil is the point here. Because, you know, no matter who is responsible for the latest burst of demonic violence, what lies at the root is the reality of human evil and a society that fosters this evil and fertilizes it to help it grow. Whether it's a trans person or anyone else carrying out the latest mass murder, the root is always a culture in a state of spiritual and moral decay. We have become a country filled with numb, detached, empty, desensitized people with no sense of underlying purpose. And we try to fill the gaps with things that cannot solve the problem and will only make it worse a lot of the time. Uh, psychiatric drugs, internet, entertainment, trying to numb the numbness even more. Increasingly, people, especially young people, seeking a sense of identity and belonging, they turn to gender identity for the answer. But there they find only more of the confusion and despair that they're trying to escape. This is the soil that these tragedies grow out of. It's the landscape where everything is playing out. And it's the whole picture that we need to see and understand and confront. It's also the ground where many innocent people are buried, six more after yesterday. We pray for them and their families, and, and we keep fighting the evil for their sake. Now let's get to our five headlines. Okay, uh, so we have some, some more on this shooting as we get into the five headlines. Um, and we'll start with this. Trans terrorists massacres Christian children. But who's the real victim? Now, of course, the real victim, according to our satanic media, are trans people themselves. They are the real victims. Uh, they're the ones we should be concerned about, as uh, this uh, media report tries to argue. Here it is. Audrey Hale, who police say identifies as transgender. That news has already prompted some attacks against the trans community. KPRC2's Bryce Newberry picks up our coverage from here. Demonstrators at the Texas State Capitol Monday fighting against anti-trans bills being considered by state lawmakers as news broke that the Nashville school shooter identifies as transgender. It doesn't excuse anything that happened. I am concerned about how um, opposition and people who are uh, anti-trans will try to spin this. Concern about tweets like this from GOP Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene writing, 
How much hormones like testosterone and medications for mental illness was the transgender Nashville school shooter taking? Everyone can stop blaming guns now. The comparison of they did it because they're trans is very unfair to trans people. Andrea Segovia from the Transgender Education Network of Texas joined Monday's battle at the Capitol fighting House Bill 1686, which would block doctors from providing gender transition health care treatment to children. Now with another reason for the Texas trans community to be in the spotlight and at least two months remaining of the legislative session, advocates worry the attacks aren't over. You can't say that because one person did something that's a characteristic or reason um, to be cruel to trans people. And tonight, while facts about the Nashville shooting are still surfacing, the human rights campaign says trans people are much more likely to be victims of violence rather than perpetrators, writing in a statement, regardless of the reason for this shooting, the use of violence is reprehensible, and we renew our call for common sense gun safety legislation. In the newsroom tonight, I'm Bryce Newberry, KPRC 2 News. Um, this is why I talk about the reality of human evil, and you're seeing it there. Um, Everybody involved in, in this. These are just evil people. And uh, they don't care um, that these people were killed. They don't. And I know it's hard for us to wrap our heads around that. We can't, like, how could you not care? You know, there's, there's six innocent people, including three nine-year-olds. You know, to normal people like us, I mean, I have two nine-year-old children. And so the, the thought of young children being slaughtered is just, it fills you with anger and sorrow and grief. And when something like that happens, that's, that's the only thing you care about are the actual victims. And so you and I, as, as morally, um, you know, uh, as competent, normal people, that's how we feel about it. So you kind of assume that everybody else must work that way. But what we have to realize is that that's not the case. You know, we, we, we live in a culture that is uh, run in many ways, especially from the institutional level, by people who have sold their souls. They've sold their souls. And so they don't, they don't even have that instinctive reaction of caring immediately about this. The first thing they care about, the first thing they talk about and think about is of how this is going to impact their preferred, quote-unquote, supposedly marginalized group. We make a joke about it in many other contexts. When we hear about, uh, when they make some sort of claim about uh, climate change is going is to kill all of humanity. It's going to be an apocalypse, apocalypse in 12 years. And uh, you know, women and minorities most affected. And you hear that kind of thing and you laugh about it, it becomes sort of a meme. But what you realize is that uh, under the surface, it's not very funny because this is actually how they feel. They, they, they don't care about people. They care about the ideology. They care about the narrative. That's all they care. And they also don't care about trans people either, by the way. They don't care about trans-identified people. Of course they don't. If they cared about trans-identified people, they would not be pushing uh, this, this stuff. They, they would be trying to help trans-identified people. To, um, to deal with what is the actual source of their despair and, and all of that. So all they care about is the narrative. Children are killed, and uh, what do we hear? Trans people are, are most impacted somehow. That's what we have to worry about. You've got 
trans, trans terrorists murdering Christians in school. You have, as we laid out in the opening monologue, calls for further violence. And so, but, but we're not the ones, as Christians and conservatives, we're not the ones who have reason to be concerned, right? It's the trans people. It's the, it's the, the, the trans activists who are carrying out this kind of stuff. They're the ones who, who we need to be worried about. Uh, and also what you heard at the end there from the human rights campaign, uh, trans people are much more likely to be victims of violence. Now, if the, if the insinuation there, which this is what is being insinuated, if the, if the claim is that they're much more likely to be violence, if they're, more, they're much more likely to be targeted for violence because they are trans, if that's the claim, then it is totally bogus. Because we hear so much about trans people being killed, genocide, they're being targeted because they're trans. It almost never happens. Okay? It almost never happens. There is no epidemic of it. There, there's nothing like that, which is why, as we've been over many times, when they, when they try to uh, support this claim of a genocide or hate crime epidemic against trans people, the most they can ever do is just um, is, is give you the number of trans people who are homicide victims, period, throughout the entire year. So they'll tell you, well, you know, whatever it is, 50 trans people were uh, the victims of homicide throughout the year. Oh, okay, yeah, I mean, you take any demographic group and there's going to be homicides within that group because we're all mortal human beings living in this society. The question is, how many of the homicides were because they're trans? How many of them were targeted because of their identity? And when you ask them that, you're going to get a lot of, well, I, oh, that does that. It's not the point. And if you actually look into it, you look at FBI data, you're going to see, you know, two, three very small handful. So there is no such epidemic. Yet here we have real death and suffering. This is something that actually happened. On this same note, the uh, so-called Trans Resistance Network, I want to read this to you. This is a, a group of trans activists. And uh, this is the statement they put out. And it appears that this statement is real. Now, I, I couldn't independently confirm it because uh, this group has shut down their Twitter. They've, they've locked up their Twitter page. Um, and so you can't, you can't go to their Twitter page to see it. But this is apparently a screenshot from their Twitter page. You can't go to their Twitter page to confirm it because they've, they've locked it down, which seems to be pretty good confirmation that it's real. Because if it wasn't, they would unlock the Twitter page and tell everyone, hey, by the way, that thing's not real. Instead, they've locked it down. They've gone into hiding, basically, on cyberspace anyway. So this is what the, uh, this is what the statement says. The Trans Resistance Network has been notified the shooter involved in today's church school shooting in Nashville was a person identifying as transgender, known from online profiles as Aiden or Aubrey Hale. It's actually Audrey. While it is not our policy to engage publicly with news media, we believe this moment calls for thoughtful response from our collective. We point out that today's incident in Nashville, Tennessee is not one tragedy, but two. The first tragedy today is the loss of life of three children and adults, we extend our deepest sympathies and heartfelt prayers to those families dealing with loss of loved ones. There is nothing we can offer that will comfort the hurt or ease the sorrow. We mourn with you. The second and more complex tragedy is that Aiden or Aubrey Hale, who, who felt he had no other effective way to be seen than to lash out by taking the life of others and by consequence himself. We do not claim to know the individual or have access to their inner thoughts and feelings. 
We do know that life for transgender people is very difficult and made more difficult in preceding months by a virtual avalanche of anti-trans legislation and public callouts by right-wing personalities and political figures for nothing less than the genocidal eradication of trans people from society. Many transgender people deal with anxiety, depression, thoughts of suicide, PTSD from the near constant drumbeat of anti-trans hate, lack of acceptance from family members and certain religious institutions, denial of our existence and call for detransition and forced conversion. And on and on and on. I can't even keep reading this tripe. Here we have it from a group of trans activists laid out explicitly clear that Audrey Hale, the demonic monster who murdered children, not to mention three adults who are also innocent victims in this, who murdered six people, is, uh, is one of the victims here. Because she felt bad. Society made her feel bad. Well, I, I, I'll tell you one thing. Um, I don't give a damn how this person felt. Okay? I don't care that her, her feelings were hurt. I don't care that she was suffering. I hope she suffered. I hope she suffered a lot in her final moments. That's what I hope. That's how we're supposed to feel about monsters who murder children. Oh, she felt bad. Good. She feels bad now, burning in hell also. And I'm glad for that because it's justice. Now, here's another thought too. Um, not that this is even something that we, that we need to, to engage with, but uh, you know, as much as we hear about how Trans people are so devastated and uh, and in you know in in, in such bad shape uh, uh, you know psychologically because of uh, not being affirmed by society and all this. This is what we hear: who's suffering so much uh, emotionally, psychologically because of not being affirmed. We hear this. Um, meanwhile, all of our major institutions in society are bending over backwards every second of every day to suck up to this group of people, affirm them, make them feel good. And so maybe we should stop to consider that first of all, if you're in a position where you need everyone in society to agree with you and affirm you and, and uh, you know, prop up your, your self-perception and all, if you need everyone to the point where you could have all of the major institutions constantly celebrating you, constant parades, flags waving, you're great, you're special. And you can have all of that. And yet you hear a few voices saying, I don't agree with that. And that like destroys you. Maybe there are some issues, some deeper issues going on. Maybe it's not the fault of those few voices who are, um, who are uh, presenting a counter-argument from everything we hear from all the major institutions. Just a thought. Meanwhile, uh, there's this from an NBC reporter, which has been deleted. Uh, the, the media, I mean, as expected in the wake of this thing, just covering themselves in glory. So Benjamin Ryan is an NBC reporter and uh, also uh, an obsessed fan of mine and of the Daily Wire, uh, he's, you know, he spends much of his day tweeting about us. He's basically, I, I, he's, he's uh, angling for a job at Media Matters, I think. He's very well qualified for Media Matters, just in his, in his obsession with Daily Wire. 
So this is what he tweeted. He said, NBC has ID'd the Nashville school shooter as Audrey Hale, 28, who identifies as transgender and had no previous criminal record. Nashville is home to the Daily Wire, a hub of anti-trans activity by Matt Walsh, Ben Shapiro, and Michael Knowles. Now, some people read that. He deleted the tweet and, of course, took no accountability for it, didn't apologize for it. Uh, but many people read that as him blaming us for the attack. And that is one way to read it. And the media was also, has also been doing that. They've been blaming us, blaming the Daily Wire, blaming conservatives. Because here's the thing. You know, if, if, if there's a mass shooting and it's someone who they can claim is, you know, quote unquote, on our side, someone who they can claim is, quote unquote, right wing, then they blame us. But if it's somebody on the other side, they still blame us. So literally, no matter who commits the mass shooting, it doesn't matter. It's always our fault. And there, there, was, uh, there was quite a bit of that, including this media report, which you know, attempts, to, attempts to hint at it, kind of offers the hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge thing in a very unsubtle way, connecting conservatives uh, to this attack. Let's listen to this. That is Police Chief John Drake of Nashville, who is briefing reporters on the deadly grade school shooting in Nashville at the Covenant School there this morning. Uh, the police confirming uh, six dead, three children, one eight years old, two nine years old, and uh, three adults, including Catherine Kuntz, who is the head of the Covenant School. Uh, the police chief uh, also said uh, that the shooter has been identified as 28-year-old female Audrey Hale said she's a former student of the school and confirmed that Audrey Hale was a, identified herself as a transgender person. Uh, it, state of Tennessee earlier this month passed and the governor signed a bill that banned transgender medical care for minors, as well as uh, a law that prohibited adult entertainment, including male and female impersonators after a series of drag show controversies in that state. So very unsettled hint. I mean, what does that have to do with anything? Um, well, obviously, it, it, the, the connection he wants, and some people in the media are being more explicit about it, but the connection he wants us to make is that somehow this was our fault, uh, which going back to the, the ben, Benjamin Ryan tweet, you know, you could interpret it that way, saying that, well, this, this crime was carried out in Nashville, by the way, home to a, a hub of anti-trans activity by Matt Walsh, Michael Lowell's, and Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro, by the way, doesn't even live in Nashville. Um, so you could interpret the tweet that way. I interpret it another way. Uh, this one from, from uh, Benjamin Ryan, anyway. I think the other way of interpreting it is um, rather than blaming us, uh, instead sending the militants after us. You know, kind of a way of, uh, it's another uh, hint, hint, wink, wink situation. Saying, Oh, yeah, well, this uh, trans terrorist shot a bunch of Christians. Hey, by the way, not just, just down the road from, from there, there are some more anti-trans people. That, to me, is pretty clearly the, uh, the implication. Because, again, they don't value our lives. They think we deserve to die, all of us. That's what they believe. Biden, as we saw, addressed the shooting um, by politicizing it. But before he got to that part of his remarks. Um, it started with this, and you, you can't even appreciate the full, uh, just morbid absurdity of this if you don't see the video, because Fox and other media outlets, they cut to Joe Biden, who came to address the media, 
And then you can see down at the bottom of the screen, the lower third, it says that uh, Joe Biden is going to address uh, the, the mass shooting in Nashville. But while it says that on the screen, here's how he actually begins his remarks. My name is Joe Biden. I'm Dr. Joe Biden's husband. And I ate Jenny's ice cream, chocolate chip. I came down because I heard there was chocolate chip ice cream. By the way, I have a whole refrigerator full upstairs. I think I'm kidding. I mean, if it were any other topic, you know, if it was, if it was something else, we could laugh about it, just as those uh, hyenas in the crowd are laughing hysterically. Oh, he said he likes ice cream. But we can't even laugh about it because... This is a, a school shooting, and he starts off by saying, I like, I, my name's Joe Biden, and I like ice cream. And this is, it's not surprising, though. This is the consequence of having a mentally deranged uh, dementia patient as president. That is what we actually have. I think, I think somehow, even after, uh, you know, three years, it still hasn't totally, it, it, I don't know, I'm not sure how much it, it, it sinks in for people. That we actually, it's not, it's not a joke. It's not just something that we laugh about. Uh, it is actually true that the President of the United States does not have his mental wits about him and has dementia. And that is the only way to explain how he could come out for the media to address a school shooting and start off literally by saying, my name's Joe Biden and I like ice cream. We, we can't call that a gaffe or a flub. This is just a mentally deranged old doddering fool who has no idea where he is or what's going on. And not only is he in the White House, but he is actually going to run for re-election and might actually be elected. All right. Um, we have a couple other stories that are, uh, you know, hitting some other, some other news items that we'll talk about uh, briefly. This is from... The Daily Wire says an organization that uh, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is a member of has accepted sizable donations from ByteDance, the Chinese parent company of the social media platform TikTok, which the Democrat socialists recently defended from a possible nationwide ban. Jake Denton, a technology policy expert at the Heritage Foundation, noted that Ocasio-Cortez is a member of the Advisory Council for the Congressional Hispanic Caucus Institute, a nonprofit entity that received $150,000 at the end of last year from ByteDance, according to a lobbying contribution report. What a coincidence, Denton said on social media. Ocasio-Cortez recently remarked on TikTok that a ban of the platform over national security and privacy concerns would be unprecedented and said that such a move does not really address the core of the issue, which is the fact that major social media companies are allowed to collect troves of deeply personal data about you that uh, you do not know about. She added that the lawmaker should instead pass a broader data privacy bill for social media firms. So we were talking yesterday, we played some of the clip of her. Uh, she responded to this move to potentially ban TikTok by starting her own TikTok account and trying to describe why she objects to it. And she said, doesn't feel right. So now we know where those, those feelings are coming from. We know why it doesn't feel right for her because uh, uh, her organization is receiving money from the parent company of, of TikTok. I mean, this is the kind of, this kind of open corruption that should be investigated. And, uh, and of course it won't be. And even if it is, nothing will be done about it. But that's what it is. And, and, and by the way, should we look at a passing 
a, a broader bill that has to do with data privacy and reining in big tech and all the rest of it, sure, we should do that. There, there are many of us who have been crying out for that for years. Um, but, you know, b- big tech should not exist in this uh, zone, in this magical, like, law-free zone where they can just do whatever they want. And, but that's the way that it's gone for a lot of the big tech companies. Um, you know, and it extends out to the, the porn industry as well. Some of the, the basic regulations that any other industry, any other company would have to abide by, somehow it doesn't apply to them. So, yeah, let's talk about that. But there's no reason why we can't start with this bill, which to me is clearly a, a, a good bill. And finally, quickly, I wanted to mention this. Um, on lighter news, I guess a little bit lighter, uh, another celebrity divorce. And there's one line here that that's uh, that interests me. Actress Reese, Reese Witherspoon just announced that she and her husband for 12 years, Jim Toth, are getting divorced. The 47-year-old mom of three broke the news via her Instagram page on Friday, just days before the couple's anniversary on Sunday. She says, we have some personal news to share. It was with a great deal of care and consideration that we have made the difficult decision to divorce. We have enjoyed so many wonderful years together and are moving forward with deep love, kindness, and mutual respect for everything that we have created. Uh, our biggest priority is our son and our entire family as we navigate this next chapter. And that's the one note that I want to make about this. We talked about the celebrity uh, justifications and excuses for divorce last week when it was Giselle Bündchen uh, giving her reasons for divorcing Tom Brady. And it was a lot of this self-help, self-actualization jargon about how well, I have to, to, you have to put, I have to discover myself. I'm, I'm, I'm on a journey and I have to uh, discover myself and whatever it was. Um, and here it's another, another common thing that we always hear from these people, which is that uh, we're getting divorced. We've, we've made this decision. It's a mutual decision. Never mutual, by the way. It never is. Mutual decision. We've decided to do this. We've decided to embark on this new journey separately. Uh, but our top priority, our top priority is our son, is, is the children. Well, no, I know that's not the case. Because if your top priority was your child, you wouldn't be getting divorced. Okay? This is exactly what you do when your top priority is not your child. Which actually, you know, by the way, in a marriage, that's not even supposed to be your top priority. Okay? Your number one priority is supposed to be the marriage itself. Your number one priority is the marriage. Because, because that is, that's, if, if you actually love your children and, uh, and, and uh, you do prioritize their well-being, then they need the marriage to stay intact. They need the family to stay intact. So that is largely how you prioritize the children is by prioritizing the marriage. Um, but either way, if, you, if you're prioritizing your children, then you wouldn't be dissolving the marriage because this is what they need. They need their family. You're going your separate ways. You're getting divorced, not because you because obviously you don't prioritize the marriage. You don't value the marriage. Um, and you don't prioritize your children. You prioritize yourselves and your own individual desires and wants and, and all of that and your convenience and your lifestyle. And um, that's what you prioritize. That's what it leads to. All right, let's get to the comment section. Do you know their name? They're the sweet baby gang. 
A person says, I'm sure Matt has said this before, but the gender-affirming drugs, quote-unquote, are even worse than just having harmful side effects. The point of them is to cause harm. The point of them is to prevent the normal, healthy, physical development of a child. Just think uh, that needs to be said more often. You're exactly right. I have made that that point many times, and uh, but it, it always stands repeating that we could talk about the side effects of the drugs. We should talk about the side effects of the drugs, but... Um, the real issue, the first and foremost issue, is the intended effects of the drugs. The intended effect, as you point out, is to uh, is to prevent the normal, healthy um, development of a child. As you, I'm just restating exactly what you said, but I think you're right. Um, Mauricio says it must be torture hearing Matt pronounce "gif" so many times to people who clearly hold the wrong opinion. Yeah, and this one is, uh, there is a wrong and a right here. You know, it's not, not a matter of opinion, whether you say GIF or JIF. GIF stands for, right, it stands for Graphics Interchange Format. Okay, isn't that what it stands for? So the first word is graphics, G, graphics, GIF. That's it. That's the end of the conversation. Now, I've, heard, I've heard people that, well, the, the, the guy who invented the GIF, he says that it's pronounced GIF. I don't know if that's true or not. But it doesn't matter because he's wrong about it. Like he might have invented this format. He didn't invent the English language and the way that words are pronounced. Graphics, guh, gif, that's it. That's that's all there is to it. If we could at least move on from that, we can't move on from very many controversies in this society, but maybe that's one at least that we can move on from. Um Ativa says, so when a black person uses the meme of Tony Stark rolling his eyes, is that whiteface? Well, of course not. But that, that is also the, the, the funny thing we talked about yesterday, the um, uh, digital blackface, which is when a white person uses a meme or a gif, a gif of a, a black person, that's digital blackface. But in this article that lays out this lengthy uh, article on, what was it, CNN, laying all this out, digital blackface, he doesn't even acknowledge this issue. He, he, he never even uh, attempts to grapple with the question of, well, what about black people who use white people as gifts? And the reason he doesn't acknowledge it is because it's just, it's, it's, it's assumed at this point. There's no, you don't even need to acknowledge it. They don't even need to say it out loud. It's, we, all, we already know, we're supposed to already know that, well, obviously uh, a, a black person can use gifts of white people all they want. It's like, the, the racial double, double standard is assumed at this point. So they don't feel the need to acknowledge it or explain it. It's just assumed. And you're supposed to go along with that assumption and accept that and adopt that assumption yourself. Um, Maggie May says, you're so funny, Matt. There's always method to Trump's madness. It's a waste of time to even talk about the Trump-DeSantis charade. You know, I, I, I understand that to Trump's most devoted supporters, that's what you tend to believe, that um, everything he does, even if it appears to be a mistake or it appears to be a misstep or it appears to be the wrong strategy, it was always, it's always the right strategy. You know, this is where that the 4D chess meme comes from. Um, but, but that's, look, that's not the case, okay, for Trump. It's not the case for Trump. There's not always some... Well, it seems like this is the wrong thing. It seems like this is bad, but it's really there's 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 a plan. Trust the plan, right? Um, no, no, it's like it's it's that that plan's not there. It's when it appears to be a mistake or a misstep, it just is. Um, but that's also true of anyone. That's true of of all of us. Like everyone makes mistakes and missteps. Okay, so 
and it's, it's, so if you were to take any random person, any mortal being who exists on earth, and insist that everything they do is right, and that they can never make a mistake, and that there's all, even if it appears to be a mistake, there's a plan behind it, and it's really, this is a chess move. Um, that's not the case for anyone, okay, because we're all flawed. Uh, so when you attempt to make Trump into some sort of like superhero type figure, um, that's always going to be a mistake for anyone. And it's always going to be a mistake for a politician to approach a politician that way. So I, I'm always preaching this about politicians that our, our support, I don't want to hear anything about loyalty. Okay. I hate, I hate uh, the word loyalty when applied to politicians. We do not owe them loyalty. It goes the other way. They owe it to us, and they have to prove themselves to us, not the other way around. And our support for politicians should always be conditional. Always be conditional. Okay, it's not like uh, I would never say that about you know, your support for your spouse or your child. That's not conditional. But we're not married to these people. We're not in their family. So we support them because we like what they do, and if we don't like what they do, we're, we're, we are always prepared to withdraw that support. And maybe we give the support back when they change what they've done wrong. You know, th- that's the way it should work. And I apply that to anyone. I apply, you know, even though I support DeSantis, I certainly apply it to DeSantis. I'm perfectly willing to criticize him. In fact, I did just last week. So this is how, this is how we should approach all politicians to include um, Trump. Leroy says, episode 737 is our area 51. Let the merch commence. I like that idea because this would be the most obscure, insular merchandise possible that nobody would understand. Even people who are kind of uh, casual fans of the show wouldn't understand. So that's why we need that merchandise. We need a t-shirt that says something like, we just need a t-shirt that says, episode 737 does not exist. That's what we need the t-shirt to say. No context. It can't can't even say uh, the Matt Walsh show or anything on it. There's no other indication of what it even refers to. And that's it. We just need that on a t-shirt. And uh, maybe we'll sell five of them, but that's all right. It'll, it'll be our, the, the five most loyal SBG members anyway. Let's get to the daily cancellation. It'll be a brief daily cancellation. To be totally honest with you, um, I considered not doing this segment at all because I try to make it a more humorous part of the show where I can, but uh, I'm not much in the mood for uh, for that today. Yet I'm not going to let the mood dictate how I do the show. So we turn to uh, NPR and their frantic attempts to stake out a position on the issue of men in women's sports. The Post Millennial reports, quote, NPR has deleted a tweet claiming that there was limited scientific evidence of physical advantage of male athletes over women athletes after backlash. The statement was in support of trans-identified males competing in women's sports. Quote, the international governing body for track and field will ban trans women athletes from elite women's competitions citing a priority for fairness over inclusion despite limited scientific evidence of physical advantage, the now-deleted tweet read. The tweet was uh, republished on Sunday with an update, quote, the international governing body for track and field will ban trans women athletes from elite women's competitions, citing a priority for fairness over inclusion despite limited scientific research involving elite trans athletes. The initial tweet, as well as the republished, republished tweet, were hit with community notes in which Twitter users noted studies on the exact subject, showing plenty of scientific evidence that males are stronger, faster, and more likely to beat women on the playing field. NPR issued a correction tweet following the republishing of their tweet, writing, quote, Correction, an earlier tweet incorrectly stated there is limited scientific evidence of physical advantage. 
Existing research shows that higher levels of testosterone do impact athletic performance, but there's limited research involving elite trans athletes in competition. Okay. Um, this is already incredibly embarrassing for NPR, or would be if they were capable of embarrassment, which they aren't. But even their correction is, is riddled with errors and misdirection. So three points here. First, starting with the last sentence and working our way back. We don't need research on, quote, trans athletes. This, this is the red herring that they use to distract from the actual issue. When they say that there isn't, there isn't any research or that uh, when they correct themselves and say there isn't enough research to declare that males have an athletic advantage over females, what they mean is that there, there haven't been very many studies specifically analyzing the performance of trans-identified males. But that's because we don't need to analyze trans-identified males. The point isn't how trans people perform, it's how men perform, however they identify. Okay. Whether the man sees himself as a woman, or sees himself as a man, or sees himself as a tomato plant, that is entirely beside the point. Self-perception has no impact one way or another on the inherent physical traits that give men a significant edge over women in sports. We don't need to study trans people for this, for this because uh, uh, th their alleged transness is completely and totally irrelevant to the issue at hand. So this is like if I said um, that tall people have an advantage in basketball. And you responded that, well, uh, that might be true, but we need more research before we can determine whether a tall person who, whose favorite color is blue would also have an advantage. Well, no, we don't need that research because his color preference has no bearing on this particular question. Just as a man's gender identity, his perception of himself has no bearing on the issue of men and women's sports. Second, yes. Um, as NPR was forced to acknowledge, testosterone impacts athletic performance. But this is another misdirection. They want the entire conversation to be focused on testosterone as if that's the only thing that gives men an advantage. But it isn't, not even close. Women not only have less testosterone, but also 20% less muscle mass in their legs, smaller fast twitch muscle fibers, smaller lungs, smaller hearts, weaker bones, shorter legs. Um, a, a, a more limited capacity to produce oxygen when they're exerting themselves, etc. The advantages for men involve nearly every part of the body. It is a physiological reality that cannot be summed up by hormones. You can inject man, a man with estrogen, but that will not even out most of these differences, or really any of them. Third, even if it could even out the differences, okay, which it can't and it never will, but if it could, I mean, there was something you could do to uh, like neutralize all of this. That wouldn't matter. I still would not support men in women's sports. And this is where the women's sports issue threatens to derail our side, the side of sanity. Because by focusing so much on the physical differences between men and women and the unfair advantages that men have in sports, we, wonder, we, we run the risk of conceding that hypothetically, if these differences could be mitigated or minimized to a significant degree, then we would tolerate men in women's sports. But no, we still wouldn't, or shouldn't, because our actual argument against a man in a woman's sport is not merely that he's stronger and more athletic, but that he is a man. Okay, as always, our main concern is not preserving the integrity of women's sports or even any overarching issue like fairness or privacy. 
I mean, we are concerned with all of that, but that's not the main point. The main point is simply truth. We oppose men in women's sports because men are not women. And pretending that they are women is an assault on truth. It's also an assault on women's sports, but the far, far greater concern is truth itself. So I am worried about the impact that somebody like Leah Thomas has on the the female competitors who he stole trophies from. I'm even more worried about the societal impact of accepting Leah Thomas as a woman. That is the crux of it. And it's really the only point that matters. Why don't we want men and women's sports? Is it because it's unfair? Is it because men have more testosterone and they have more strength and all the rest? Yes, yes, yes. But that is all merely an offshoot. It's, a, it's an outgrowth of the real point, which is that men are not women. And it's as simple as that. And that's all. And that's why NPR is today canceled. And that'll do it for this portion of the show as we move over to the members block. Hope to see you there. If not, we'll talk to you on uh, tomorrow. Godspeed.